I think what started my desire to give um, is when we had passed the offering plate, I, when I would forget to bring money to church or I wouldn't have anything to put in that offering plate, I didn't like not being able to contribute in that way and having to continue to pass the offering plate. Um, and so I think that's what started uh, my desire to go ahead and, and give of what I had. One thing that has helped me in my uh, daily giving is just trusting that even though we don't have a lot, that giving will help someone else, but also be repaid in uh, God's eyes. Just the trust that He has a plan and helping others is part of that plan. We have been in this journey for a while. Um, I feel like we're at the beginning of getting our finances worked out. We haven't always been the best stewards of our money. Um, we did start by giving um, to food for the hungry. And then we just realized that we weren't always paying all of our bills. And so we have reached out to Aaron here at church and we started learning how to be better stewards with our money because we wanted to be able to give more to our community and to our church and to those who are in need. So I think we became disciplined in our giving is when we really decided that um, giving needed to be first and foremost and that we had to design a budget around that. And we kind of came together on what we thought was most important and kind of went from there. And we've kind of lived on a budget now that gives us a little more freedom to give. Yeah, so what disciplines or rhythms helped us become more principled in our giving? I think. I think for us, it really started when we were getting more mature in our faith. We decided that if we're going to be all in, in this uh, walk of our spiritual growth, and if we were gonna accept all of God's word, rather than a la carte and take some of this and not part of that, then it applied to our giving. And if that meant that we needed to give our first and best, then it also meant that we needed to give our first and best. And it wasn't just um, our financial giving, it also was our time and our talents and our energy. I actually went to explore the creation around me in the Smoky National Park, Smoky Mountain National Park, and went backpacking. Now, as a kid, we grew up camping some, and as an adult, I've done some hiking, but I've never spent two nights and three days in the woods with everything I needed on my back. That was a new experience for me, and it was awesome. Now, I didn't just wake up one day and say, huh, I'm gonna take a hike and just venture off in any direction, right? This experience took some preparation, took planning, and it took some investment. I'm grateful I was not spearheading the experience, nor was I going alone. I actually went with six other men, and uh, our fearless leader, Kevin, had done a lot of preparing for this trip. He had planned out the routes we were gonna take. We were on the Appalachian Trail for a while, which was really ex exciting. He also uh, reserved some primitive shelters that we were gonna camp around in our tents. 
And also he gathered some gear and he did some training. He taught us how to use a camping stove that was about this big for all of our meals, uh, hiking poles. And uh, even he encouraged us to buy some gear. I needed to buy a tent, a one man tent and a sleeping bag that was rated for like 30 degrees. And I wanted those to be really light because I was going to be carrying them every step of the way, right? Uh, Along the way, I learned a few things too. Like I learned one thing, how to use a bear line. A bear line is a rope that's suspended about 30 feet off the ground that you put your backpack on so that the bears will go for the backpack and not come into your tent. That's a very helpful piece of knowledge when you're backpacking, right? I also learned a simple principle that what you take into the woods, you must take out of the woods, even what comes out. That was a new learning for me. It was an incredible experience. Here's how I would describe it. The hiking was challenging. Sleeping on the ground was awful. The fellowship with other brothers was really special. And being in creation was worshipful. I mean, standing on a ledge overlooking a a, a gap like this with lots of trees, with all kinds of incredible rock formations, just seeing the sun rise and the sun set, It reminded me that you can truly see God's eternal power and his divine nature in what he has made. Today, we're actually starting a journey together. It's a journey to be more like Jesus in being generous. And it's a journey that is not really for the faint of heart. Along the way, you'll probably be challenged to uh, try some new things, to maybe acquire some new skills. You might see and experience things that you've never experienced before. I would also say you'll meet some people along the way that'll be a real blessing to this journey. It's all part of this bigger experience that we call living and loving like Jesus. That's something that God is doing in all of our lives from the inside out as he conforms us into the image of his son, Jesus. Like taking a scalpel in the hands of a very precise and loving great physician, God is shaping and molding us into the character of his, of his son, Jesus. And this sanctifying work has to continue to its full completion so the world around us can discover God's power and his love through us. That's why we were created. That's why he saved us. And that is certainly what he has called us to. For the next few weeks, we want to give permission for God to shape and mold our hearts and our minds regarding how we think about the generosity of Jesus and how we can emulate in, that, in, that, in our life as we live in love like him. And so I'm going to pray for his help right now. Would you join me? Gracious and generous God, thank you for everything that you've given to us. God, we're asking that you would teach us how to be more like Jesus as a generous person. And God, you deserve everything, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And you've given to us everything that we need to accomplish that. And so, Lord, would you teach us? Would you open our minds and our hearts? Show us how to live more and more like Jesus. And I pray that through his name. Amen. You may have heard it said that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject recorded by him in the New Testament. But that's actually not true. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven and the implications of a person who would choose to be part of the kingdom of God and how that impacts every aspect of our lives, including how we think and behave and act regarding the financial resources that God has given us. 
How we think and behave regarding money has a tremendous impact on every other aspect of our lives as we follow Jesus. And so over the next four weeks, we want to discover how to be generous like Jesus with all that God has entrusted us to. And that certainly includes money, but it also includes something that might be more expensive to us, time and giftedness or skills, relationships, even opportunities that God has blessed us with. Why? Well, because God chose to redeem all of us, not just one aspect of our life. He's not just concerned about our money. He's concerned about all of our life, reflecting the love and joy and peace that he came to bring us. And he created us to live all of life according to his principles, according to his design. Like we saw just two weeks ago in Paul's letter to the Romans, when he talks about living as living sacrifices, our whole lives are dedicated to the worship of God. And that begins by renewing our minds. We have to think differently about how we steward what God has blessed us with so that we can be generous like Jesus. It includes how we think about our time, our abilities, our money, relationships, opportunities. We want to look at what Jesus had to say about how to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us to live and love in more generous ways that will bring glory to him. Today, we want to begin by looking at a parable that Jesus told. It was recorded by Matthew in his gospel. So if you have a copy of the Bible or a device with the Bible on it, or if you want to use the Bible in the seat back in front of you, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew was one of the original followers of Jesus. And he took the time to record the life and ministry of Jesus in his gospel. Matthew was unique that he organized the life and ministry of Jesus, not chronologically, but in some groupings. He grouped a lot of the teachings of Jesus in certain sections, some of the parables and some of the healings all throughout his gospel. And very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, which opens up in the early part of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus describes what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God, what it looks like for those people who are choosing to follow Jesus as Lord. He ends his gospel with a grouping of parables known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a series of parables that point to the end of time, the arrival of Jesus, his second coming, as well as judgment that will be a part of that. He warned his followers in many of those parables about the false signs that the end is near. He states plainly to them, no one knows the hour or the day when he will return, but that we should all be ready. We should be prepared. We should be found as wise and faithful stewards doing the work that he's given us to do. It's from one of these parables we're going to look at today in Matthew 25 that we can find a key to living generously like Jesus. I want you to know that generosity starts with stewardship, and that begins by living a principled life. Let's look at the story that Jesus told. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to one, another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
Here's some things to notice about this parable. First of all, the man in the story is probably a wealthy man or even a king, and he was going away for a very long time. He entrusted all that he had, all of his wealth, to his servants, not equally distributed, but with the same expectation that they would use what they had been entrusted to continue the work that he had given them to do. Jesus says that each one of them received a portion according to his ability, which means that the master had very personal knowledge and insight into the abilities of each of these servants. And with wise and deliberate choices, he entrusted them a certain section of his wealth, and he expected a return on that investment. Many of the English translations record this parable as the parable of the talents. You might be more familiar with parable of the talents. A talent is actually a measurement of coinage. Let me explain it a little bit to you. So one talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. Now you're probably not familiar with denarii either, right? A denarii is equal to one day's wages. So if the master gave a servant one talent, He was giving him the equivalent of 20 years of earnings. That's a lot of change, right? If the servant had two talents, what would that be? 40 years of earnings. Five talents equated near 100 years of earnings. That's a lot of coinage. Buco bucks, right? That's why I'm like, like a lot of money each of them were given. Two of the servants put to work what they had been entrusted by the master, either working the land or maybe buying and selling property. They continued the work of the master. They doubled what they had been given. The other servant buried what he had received in the ground. Now, before you point the finger at him just yet, just know that burying something in the ground was actually a security tactic in the ancient world. Each had been given the same, huge responsibility with the exact same expectation of stewardship. Jesus continues the story by saying this in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master returned after a long time. And in the context of the other parables Jesus told, we can surmise that it was unexpected. It didn't have much notification or warning. Last Saturday evening, the 1992 class of Mason County High School gathered in Maysville, Kentucky to celebrate their 30th class reunion. I don't know what all those old people were doing when they gathered, but I was way too young to associate with them even though I was a member of the class of 1992 from Mason County High School, right? I mean, I saw pictures of like, who are all those old people, right? Well, because I was thinking about those 30 years that have gone by, I got a little nostalgic. And a bunch of memories of my childhood came back at school. I remember this moment in the fifth grade. 
Miss Sapp was our teacher, and for whatever reason, she spent a lot of time out of the classroom during that year. I was in fifth grade with her. And so every time she left the class, she did two things. She would point to the loudspeaker, and she reminded us that it not only blared out sound, but it could pick up sound. That was like a little scare tactic to make sure we were on our good behavior. And then she would also appoint a class watchman while she was gone. Well, as soon as Miss Sapp left the room, we had some fun. And one of the fun things we loved to do is we would take our mechanical pencil, which I think was invented like in 1992, but probably before that, and we would chuck that pencil as hard as we could into the ceiling that had ceiling tiles a lot like these that are over the auditorium here today. And if we hit it hard enough, it would stick. And then we would watch that pencil do a little wobble and it would drop and we'd catch it, no harm, no foul, right? Well, I remember one time when Miss Sapp left the room, my friend Lee Redmond chucked his pencil so hard that it stuck really deep. There was no wobble in that pencil for quite some time. And we felt the anticipation of Miss Sapp coming back. So Lee climbs up on top of his desk and he jumps. It was like slow motion, reaching high, hitting the tip of that pencil. It's starting to wobble. Lee going back to the ground, the pencil dropping into his hand and immediately to the door opening, Miss Sapp returning. We dodged that bullet, right? Well, when the master returned in Jesus' story, after a very long time, we see that he wanted to settle the accounts with those servants that he entrusted what he had to them while he was gone. He had entrusted them his wealth as well as his work and wanted to see how they had furthered it while he was gone. It was the day of reckoning. It felt like probably a pop quiz, right? Both of the servants who had displayed wise and faithful stewardship were affirmed with, by the master for their wisdom as well as their faithfulness. They were rewarded by receiving more and they were invited to share in their master's happiness. The master is pleased. He says, well done. Aren't those words that we all just long to hear? There was hard work involved. There was intentionality. There was a high level of respect as well as a response to the master's wishes. But the story continues. Let's look at verse 24 now. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Forever, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This servant was given a significant amount of money. He had the same responsibility as the other two servants. He just made a unique choice. Whether he was motivated by the fear of the master, maybe even fear of failure, or maybe he was just paralyzed or pouting by the fact that he only received one bag of gold and somebody got two and somebody else got five. For whatever reason, 
He tried to play the victim card when brought into an account by the master. He accused or even mischaracterized the master as harsh or hard to please, unreasonable. But I think that's highly inaccurate and it's certainly inexcusable. You remember how the master replied when those two servants brought back what had been entrusted to them with profit? He was encouraging and supportive and very generous to them. He was happy. How do you view God? Do you view God like those two servants who wanted to be a part of what their master was doing? Or are you fearful and scared that you might be judged unfairly by the great almighty God? This master, he provided a reasonable option that this servant could have exercised, but instead he was pronouncing harsh judgment and punishment now due to the irresponsibility of that servant to steward what had been entrusted to him. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to preach a sermon after this parable, right? I mean, there are obvious takeaways about being generous, right? We chose this parable to begin this journey toward being generous like Jesus to address a misconception that is prevalent about generosity. It doesn't just happen. Generosity is not a natural tendency in the human heart. It never has been, even since the moment where Eve With her husband, surrounded by all that God had given them, all of creation, she wanted more. I mean, we don't have to teach kids how to steal toys from each other, right? We have to teach them how to be generous. And that's an early indication that generosity has to be nurtured. It has to be developed. It has to be learned. And I think that begins by being principled. There are three principles I'm going to see today in this parable that we've just heard Jesus tell. And the first is this. God is the owner. Generosity begins by first acknowledging that all we have is from God. Life, breath, health, abilities, work, relationships, opportunities, and resources. Like the master in this parable of Jesus, everything belongs to God. David declared that in Psalm 24, 1, when he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In 1 Chronicles, David praised God by saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In the New Testament, James says these words, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. We are all entrusted by God with everything that we have. We don't own anything, nor are we entitled to anything. Therefore, we all have a responsibility to steward all that has been entrusted to us. to further the plans of God, to accomplish his purposes, to bring him glory. Have you ever let someone borrow something that belonged to you? How does it make you feel? Well, it depends on how they handle what they've borrowed from you, right? I mean, if you watch that person who's using what they borrowed from you and they're using it appropriately or productively or for its purposes that it was intended for, it kind of makes you feel happy that you let them borrow it. But... If they're misusing or abusing or not using what they borrowed from you for correct purposes, it makes you feel a little anxious. It makes you maybe feel angry, a little disappointed that you let them borrow it, right? 
I sometimes wonder why we forget that we're created in the image of God. Could it be true that God might feel those same emotions when he sees how you and I are using the things that belong to him and that he's entrusted to us? There's a second principle that I see in this parable, and that is that we are stewards. God is generous and he's trusting. And since he created us, he knows every single hair on our head or maybe the ones that are missing on a few of us. He's gifted us life and health, abilities, work, relationships, resources to use for his purposes. And God has promised to provide every need that we have so that we don't have to worry about what we eat, what we drink, even what we wear. And he's done that so we can focus our attention on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To focus on developing the type of heart that is evident in somebody who makes up the kingdom of God. We can focus our attention on living and loving like people who are part of the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus. That was the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. It's actually the whole mission that Jesus came to earth to accomplish. And knowing that we couldn't do that perfectly, what he decided to do was to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Talk about being generous, right? And so following the way of Jesus, we recognize our place. We are servants of a wealthy, generous, and trusting master who entrusts us with all that he has so that we can keep his work going forward. We aren't here on our own accord, nor are we here for our own purposes. We are created for God's glory, and he's given us everything that we need to accomplish this purpose. I was struck this past week as I was preparing for this message as the, to the parallelism that I see in 2 Peter with this parable that Jesus told. Look at what Peter had to say in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says this. He is, meaning God's, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I think what Peter is saying there is everything we have comes from God. He's given us everything that we need. We can trust him for that. For this very reason, then, Peter says, Make every effort to add to your faith, meaning this multiplication that should happen, faith to goodness, goodness to knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Do you see the compounding thing that happens there? It's much like those five and twos turning into fours and tens. Peter goes on to say this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, from burying your one bag of gold in the ground, is what Peter is saying. Keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It's because of the generosity of God through Jesus that we have everything that we have as well as everything that we need so that we can be generous stewards as we participate in the work that God has given us to do here on earth. It leads me to the third principle, and that is this. We are accountable. The whole point of Jesus' parable was to remind us that the master will return one day to see what we've done with what he's entrusted us with. Luke and his gospel records many of the same parables that Jesus taught, and one that looks a lot like this parable of the bags of gold. Afterwards, Jesus offers this warning. He says this, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does these things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. Then catch this. He says, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, we should not be motivated by fear, but rather by the loving generosity of God to be responsible to, with all that he's entrusted to us to help accomplish his purpose. We should be fully aware that we will be held accountable for how we have and are using what God has entrusted to us. Judgment day will come and it will be filled with judgment as well as rewards. As 21st century Americans, we have been given more to us collectively than any other group of people in human history. And the push to consume is stronger now than it's ever been throughout history. With this much that we have received, there comes a huge responsibility. So we must ask ourselves, how are we stewarding all that God has entrusted to us? Our time, our abilities, our relationships, our opportunities, as well as financial resources. Our natural tendencies are to forget where these all come from, to take ownership instead of stewardship, to be selfish and self-centered, and to really have misguided priorities. We use the time that God has given us for things that we want to do or just to waste time with meaningless things. And then we often say that we're way too busy or way too tired to do the things that really matter to God. We use the gifts or abilities that God has given us for our benefit, to make a name for ourselves, to become popular or wealthy or powerful instead of helping to build God's kingdom, help his come kingdom to come to earth by using those same gifts and abilities to serve God, his church, or those around us. I want to say thank you to those who made the time yesterday to serve in the Love Our City event. It's just another tangible way for all of us to use the gifts and abilities, the time that God has given us, the opportunities that he's given us for his glory and for his purposes. If you want to see how Jesus feels about our desire or our lack of to serve others, continue reading the rest of Matthew 25. He tells another parable that kind of points out how he feels about how uh, we serve others. We use the relationships that God has blessed us with in our families, our neighborhoods, even in our workplaces as leverage to have our own needs met, to have our own pleasures fulfilled, to see our own desires fulfilled. Instead of thinking how we can show God's love in tangible ways in making the lives of others better. We use opportunities that God has created for us to share his character and his love 
for meaningless experiences, cheap thrills, pointless debate, even heartless interactions. We use the money that God has given us for growing his kingdom. We use it instead for growing our own bank accounts, for accumulating things for ourselves, even so that we can feel secure or prepare for our future. What would it look like if we were generous like Jesus? What would it look like to live by the principles that we learn from this parable? Well, I think it would begin by us giving God our first and best. The Bible is filled with very practical instruction principles on how to live a generous life. And many speak of those of putting God first in our schedule, in our budget, in our efforts, even in our relationships. For example, tithing is an Old Testament as well as a New Testament principle that helps us learn how to be generous by putting God first and giving him our best. It's an intentional way to honor God, to be generous with what he has given us. You may have seen this illustration kind of floated around Facebook or some other social media channels. It's about a professor who has a large glass on his desk, a jar, and on the desk also he has three supplies, rocks, gravel, and sand. And he challenges his class to fill this glass jar with all of those three items. And he points out that all three can fit in the jar, but it really matters what you put in first. If you put sand in the jar first, there won't be much room for gravel and certainly no room for rocks. The point of the illustration is to put the big rocks in first. When you put the big rocks in first, there's room for gravel and you can put all the sand in there too. I think tithing is a principle that teaches us to put the big rock in first. We have to remember this is what God says. Of all that I've given you, take the first 10% and give that to me as a way of to worship me, a way to say thank you. And then the other 90% I've provided for you so that your needs will be met and so that you can live purposefully. We can't forget that all 100% is under the lordship of God, not just the first 10%. I think of tithing as like training wheels on a bicycle. It helps you begin a generous life. It was never intended to be the destination. So you might be sitting there today saying, well, where would I begin? Well, as your pastor, my heart would bleed for you and just say, well, just start anywhere. I mean, if you're not giving anything, just throw 20 bucks in the box as you leave. Or, you know, if you're at 2%, well, that's kind of the average for most Christians in our world today. And so just move yourself up to 3%. I'd love to tell you that, but it's just not biblical. Nowhere did Jesus say, you know, ease your way up to 10%. He actually says, start at 10%. And that might cause all of us to start scratching our head. How do I get there? Well, it's by being principled. It's probably by having a budget that, first of all, starts by saying, this is what God has given me. Where's it all need to go? And the first place it needs to go is back to God. Don't wait till the end and see what you have left over and then make that decision. Put the big rock in first. It also applies to our time. You know how many people I interact with that say, you know, I'd love to spend more time with God. I know that being with God is part of living and loving like Jesus. I just run out of time. I mean, I get to work and it's busy and I got family and then I finally get to bed and I just haven't found any time all day to spend with God. No wonder you didn't start with him. That's the big rock. 
And so I'll give you an example from my own life. Every day when I wake up, I choose 30 minutes before I have to get up so that I can spend time with God. Because like you, if I don't put it in first, there might not be room anywhere else in the day. So if I have to get up at five o'clock for something, then at 4.30, my alarm goes off so that I have 30 minutes to spend with God, to read the Bible and to pray. I'm not a perfect example in all the areas of my life, but on this one, I can tell you firsthand how much of a difference that's made in my life by putting God first in my schedule, not trying to wedge him in, in a here'sy and there'sy type of approach. How would the way that you spend your money and time indicate that you are giving God your first or best, or would it just be some leftovers? Another way that we can live out this principles is by investing in, the, in God's kingdom and not ours. You and I get so preoccupied with everything else that really isn't important. It's certainly most of the times not eternal. We spend time and money that we don't have to impress people we don't even like by doing things that don't matter. I can't think of a better description of what it looks like to bury that one bag of gold in the ground. We all have the same amount of time. It's 24 hours a day. And that it all comes from the same source, God above. And it's for the same purposes, my friend. God's generously blessed us with life and breath and health and relationships and opportunities, abilities, as well as financial resources. And we must all use them well by investing them in eternal things. What we give our hearts to, what we find joy in, what we work hard to accomplish, what we give our best effort for should be the things of the kingdom of God that helps further his purposes, not ours, not certainly the things of this world. So invest the gifts of time and relationship and resources by serving God and others. Jesus talked a lot in the Sermon on the Mount about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And at the end of that, he kind of makes a summary statement. I love how the message translation puts it. Let's read it. Jesus says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over all these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what, he may, what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I think a final way that we can live out these principles is by finding joy in God alone. The two servants in Jesus' parable found joy in their master's work. They worked hard to further it. They were responsible stewards. They wanted to please their master. They wanted to see things accomplished in his name or in his effort. And as a reward, they were welcomed into their master's happiness. Remember what Jesus said to the five gold bag owner and the two bag owner? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And then he says, come and share your master's happiness. Joy. What brings God the most joy is being generous to us. And what will bring us the most joy is actually following his example 
in being generous as well. Being generous is not usually a head thing first. It actually starts with the heart. So what does how you spend time, money, effort, energy, relational investment say about who or what you really love? What would it look like if you were focused on God first above all others? You know, we were all created in the image of a holy, loving, wise, and generous God. And Jesus incarnated all of those same characteristics as being fully God and fully man so that we'd have an example to follow and so that we could live in love like him. We could reflect God's holiness, love, his wisdom, as well as his generosity. And the culmination of that will happen when Jesus comes back and establishes forever the kingdom of God. How will he find you? Will he find you kind of sitting on your buried bag of gold? Or will he find you ready to show you what all he has accomplished in you and through you as you've have you faithfully steward what he's entrusted to you for his purposes and for his glory? You may have heard all this today and said, sounds good, Phil. I mean, like, sign me up. I'd like to become more generous. Where do I start? Well, throughout this entire series, including today, we want to be resourceful. It's not the same action step for everybody in the room today. And so on our website, cccgo.com forward slash info, we have a list of resources, actions you can take, depending on where you might find yourself today. How do you live a principled life? Well, it might start with just knowing what those principles are and how to put them into practice. One of the things we offer here at Crossroads is Financial Peace University created and led by Dave Ramsey. And many of you have probably listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio. If our world was filled with people who actually did what Dave Ramsey said, our world would be a different place. The problem is not listening to Dave Ramsey, it's actually doing what he encourages. They're biblical principles that will change your life, especially in the area of generosity. So we wanna surround you with people who are on that same journey. It'll make the journey much more enjoyable and be helpful. And we're giving you some space to sign up. Our next FPU class starts in January. That's time for you to clear off all the other things on your calendar that really probably don't matter so that you can be here on a Monday night. If you want to know, like, how do you create a budget? How do I address the amount of debt I have as a person or a family? Those are practical things that Financial Peace University will give you principles for. I'd encourage you to sign up. We also offer financial coaching here as a church. You heard about it in the video. We have a team of people who are volunteers with expert uh, background to help you walk through maybe the mess that your personal finances might find itself in. And they're here to not judge. They're here to walk, to pray, and to assist you in living out principles found in God's word. Also, we have a list of resources on that same page if you have the brave enough heart to take it, there's actually an inventory for you to determine just how generous you are or are not. That might be more exciting than any NFL game you might watch today. I'd encourage you to lead into that inventory. And finally, if you're under the age of 40, we want to invite you to a Q&A panel that we scheduled for November the 3rd. It's a chance for you to come ask questions because here's what we know. If you get these principles in your life right at the beginning, they're so much easier to follow as you live life. We'll have a space for you 40 and over people, but younger than 40, we'd invite you. You can find the information about all those things on our website, ccgo.com 
forward slash info. Just like my maiden backpacking adventure, the journey to living and loving like Jesus by being more generous is going to take you places that you may have never thought you'd ever be. Going to see things and experience things. It's going to be filled with lots of twists and turns, ups and downs, but it's worth it. And I pray along the way, as God shapes and molds your heart and mind into being more like Jesus as we live in love like him, that we'll be following the example and our lives will be filled with that joy of the master. And one day we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope you'll join me on this journey. And I want to pray to that end right now. Would you join me? God, thank you for being generous. God, thank you for giving us practical instruction from your word. Also, thank you for giving us a savior, Jesus. The most generous expression we could ever think of was the fact that you wrapped yourself in human flesh and came to our world for us and gave your life for us so that we could be with you forever in heaven. God, we need no other example than Jesus in this generous journey. So God, my prayer is not that we'd be informed, but we'd be transformed. But God, that we would pry our grimy fingers off of all that you've given to us. We'd remember where it came from and whose it is and for what purposes it's been given. God, as we grow more into the image of Jesus, I pray that not only would our lives be transformed, but the world would come to know your love through the generosity that you're expressing toward the world through us. And have it all be for your glory and praise. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.